0: This is <laughs> In 2008, Americans elected Barack Obama to be the nation's first African-American president. They voted for Obama as an individual human being, a representative of a political party, and an embodiment of a rather abstract concept. Hope. You probably see the poster in your mind already. The iconic image by artist Shepard Ferry, who'd risen to fame earlier thanks to a very different one-word poster, the street art-turned-fashion icon Obey Giant. Ferry made the Hope poster independently of the Obama campaign, which later condoned its reproduction and distribution, because after eight years of George W. Bush and the War on Terror, Ferry and Obama were both tapping into a moment of cultural optimism that held out the possibility for a different world. To quote another Obama slogan, Americans were ready to embrace change we can believe in. It was a powerful energy, but unfortunately, hope has a come-down, Disappointment. Even Shepard Fairey, in an interview with Esquire in 2015, said that Obama had not lived up, not even close, to his expectations. Now, I'll do us both a favor and skip a rehash of the 2016 election. But the cycle of hope, disillusion, and disappointment played out again last week against the lovely backdrop of this global pandemic. Bernie Sanders, the inheritor to Obama's once-promising hope, which degraded into something more like nervous optimism after the events of the previous primary, was forced to end his campaign and concede once again, leaving those of us hungering for something different with two unappetizing options. I experienced this disappointment myself at the beginning of March when Bernie appeared to be leading in the polls, fanning my nervous optimism into something remarkably close to hope, only to watch the Democratic establishment close ranks and deliver Super Tuesday to Joe Biden. It was a gut punch that, without even knowing of the quarantine to come, made me stop and reconsider how I as an individual, and we as in culture, engage with hope, and why that often leads us into the three dark D's of disillusion, disappointment, and despair. And that link between hope and despair is more apparent than ever. As we all stare down the unprecedented uncertainty of COVID 19, two trends seem to be emerging in the think pieces filling our feeds. One side is calling for us to seize this as a unique opportunity to tear down a broken system and rebuild the egalitarian eco utopia of our dreams, while the other fears a totalitarian power grab on personal liberty that will deliver us into a chipped and tracked biblical dystopia. In all honesty, I don't know which future is coming down the pipeline, because no one does. I'm not interested in prophecies or predictions, but rather the consequences putting faith in them create. Why, like Charlie Brown running to kick Lucy's football, are we so willing to set our hopes on that next horizon again and again? And what can we do to learn how to deal with disappointment? Before we talk about dealing with disappointment, we need to understand what it is and where it comes from. Disappointment arises from expectation. Sometimes that expectation is conscious, like a much-hyped Hollywood blockbuster, and sometimes it's subtle, a slight sense that, it should have been better than this. When I was living in Austin, Texas, I once talked to a friend's brother who worked at the fanciest hotel in town. I asked him what it was like dealing with those rich clients, and he said, Here's what I tell everyone who asked me that. Our hotel has a complimentary cheese plate. When you check into your room, there's a lavish spread with fancy cheeses, crackers, bread, and so on, waiting for you. One that you didn't even ask for. And not infrequently, we get people calling the front desk because they're dissatisfied with the cheese plate. The cheese plate, I remind you, they didn't know they were getting, nor were they ever asked to pay for The disconnect here seems to be between two parallel worlds. The world that we think should be, and the one we actually experience. Even when it's a free cheese plate, if it doesn't rise to the level of what we believe a cheese plate should be, we experience disappointment. Well, not we. Only entitled assholes get upset over free cheese. But we experience disappointment in other more mundane matters. When the Tinder date doesn't look like their photo, when the birthday present isn't quite what we wanted, or when the dream job we really hoped would come through lets us know they're moving forward with another candidate. Now, one strategy available to us is changing our expectations. This is easier said than done, and many of us have fairly ingrained biases towards high or low expectations, also known as optimism and pessimism. This duality, much like our current political climate, can engender a pretty harsh view of the opposing side. Pessimists see optimists as delusional, holding onto impossible hopes while ignoring the hard truths of reality. Optimists, on the other hand, can view their pessimistic peers as dour and depressing, living perpetually in a worst-case scenario that never arrives, or worse, that they force into being with their own shit attitude. Those are extremes, which is all you get when you view the world in black and white. But if you embrace the shades of gray you can enter into a purgatory of possibilities. Rather than have high or low expectations, the idea is to let go of expectations to the extent you can and open yourself to uncertainty, which is what we all experience when we encounter the unexpected. If I never heard of the band playing before my friends, when they turn out to be incredible, they wildly exceed my non-existent expectations. Or if you stop into a cafe because you're hungry and just need something to tide you over until dinner, since you're not desiring anything more than a few calories, you'll be blown away when you receive a truly excellent sandwich. This sensation is disappointment's sunnier sibling, delight. Having low to no expectations creates ample room for experiences to exceed them. This differential between expectation and reality informs our resulting emotional experience allowing us to soar upwards in delight or fall from great heights and land in a broken pile of disappointment. But here is where we must tread carefully. Although they might seem similar, I hold that letting go of expectations is a very different attitude than apathy or indifference. Apathy and indifference come from not caring. While I believe it's possible, though perhaps difficult, to care without expectations. Consider a hypothetical friend who's been having a tough time and has an upcoming birthday. You care for this friend, so you decide to get them a gift, a physical symbol of the abstract emotional statement, I care about you. It's possible to give your friend this gift simply because you care, yet frequently we still expect a certain reaction, whether that's a demonstrative expression of gratitude, or we fear they won't like the gift and we'll set it aside without so much as a smile. But if we focus solely on our act of giving the gift, we can avoid being upset by a less desired outcome. Much like the cliched call to mindfulness, be here now, this is easier said than done. We care about outcomes because we care about our vision for how things should be and frequently fall into the trap of taking it personally when reality doesn't deliver. When I moved to New York City, I realized in my first week that, in terms of probability, there would be instances where I just missed my train as often as times where it would arrive exactly as I walked up to the platform. Both were fated to occur, and since the train doesn't really run on time, there wasn't much I could do to sway the odds in my favor. The only option available was for me to consciously decide that I would notice and appreciate the trains that arrived with perfect timing and let go of my dismay when I was a few seconds short of clearing the closing doors. Besides, there's always another train, and where am I even going? Work? Work sucks. I'd rather read my book on the train platform. Now, when you're trying to develop a mindful habit like this, it's very easy, and I'll even say quite enjoyable, to practice a little spiritual schadenfreude. And the New York transit system is very generous in this regard. Sometimes trains are late, or they stop. Or they're late, and when they finally arrive and you go 10 feet out of the station, then they stop. It's annoying, and there are many things the state can and should do to make it better. But it's also a very complex system. Minor delays reverberate throughout the system, creating additional issues until a purse stuck in the door of an A train on the Upper West Side results in a B train stop between stations in Deep Brooklyn. When you're dealing with a system that serves 4.3 million riders a day, it's safe to say a delay isn't personal. But there is a certain class of people who seem to disagree. I'm not saying it's always a bro in a business suit, but I will say it is often a bro in a business suit. A train slows, shudders, and stops between stations, and they're the first one to loudly and performatively say, Ugh! Unbelievable! They look around the car, as if searching for an audience to whom they can communicate that they will not stand by idly as the trains conspire to alter their carefully planned day. They huff. They puff. They stomp around. They check their watch over and over. Unacceptable. Which is precisely the right word. They are unwilling to accept that they are but a small piece and a vast game and forces beyond not only their control, but their understanding, have laid waste to their precious plans. Why is the train stopped? It could be any reason. From the complex Albany politics that resulted in this particular signal not getting updated for several decades more than it was built to last, or a fellow commuter might have experienced a far worse day somewhere ahead in the dim tunnel and now lies dying underneath the wheels of another train. If I was a more spiritual being, I would have sympathized with the suffering of all beings, including Chad T. Powertie, who was going to miss his 10 o'clock meeting. But I chose to be a wizard, which gives me the freedom to be a bit of a dick when I feel like it, so I relished these moments where I'd get to watch some dude lose his shit and savor my own smug superiority as I embraced being an itty-bitty being in a vast and unpredictable universe. But there's a big difference between taking it personally when a train is late and taking it personally when a politician threatens the health, the safety, and the lives of vast groups of people. Groups which may even include you. It's not fair that some people inherit trust funds, while others suffer endless indignities to earn a paycheck that won't even cover their basic necessities. It's not fair. And here's where our divided political perspective rears its head, and one side says, Yep, life's not fair. What are you going to do? cry about it? And the other side says, yes, because it's sad and it's shitty. And also, we could make it more fair if we worked together and tried. And here's where one side has a, you guessed it, unfair advantage. The deal with it's don't have to lift a finger, while the do-somethings have to beg and plead for people to do something. And the do-somethings rely on the carrot of hope, while the deal with it's wield the frustratingly effective stick of fear. It's an uneven playing field. It's always easier to break something or keep it broken than it is to build something beautiful. And every time we indulge in a little hope, we risk the comedown of disappointment. Even if we nominated Bernie Sanders, even if he won, the resulting reality of America's first socialist president taking on a deeply entrenched system of plutocrats, pulling the strings of public opinion, would probably be more disappointing than our eco-utopian ideals hoped for. So what am I saying here? Never hope? Give up? Don't vote? No. I'm saying embrace the idea that the world may be shitty, that things will get worse, and that the fabled utopia will never arrive but we can still care. We can surrender our expectations as much as possible and still live full lives with real moments of joy, beauty, love, and delight, even in a reality that refuses to conform to our narrative of what it should be. Because when we treat hope like a drug and keep telling ourselves the promised land is just over that next hilltop, I think that does more harm than good. Is the world today better than it was a thousand years ago? Depends on who you ask. We don't have anyone from a thousand years ago to give us a side-by-side comparison, and opinions vary on whether the gains in average lifespan, infant mortality, and technological comfort were worth the sacrifices in environmental devastation, human alienation, and mythological living. But let go of better and worse, and everything has changed. The world changes. It always has and it always will. Take a long enough view, and our human hopes and fears are barely a blip on the Earth's long, strange merry go round the sun. Look a little closer, enough to see the incessant rise and fall of forgotten empires, and civilization appears to be always lurching drunkenly between utopia and dystopia. One leads disappointingly to the other, and even dystopias dissolve into delight on occasion. And if we look even closer still, if we zoom back into that single pixel that is our unique human moment, me alone in a room speaking into a mic, you hearing these words wherever you might be, I think we might find that the other side of the expectation is acceptance. Accepting that things are not always going to go the way that we want them, that there is no promised land on the other side of the hill, but that we're still going to take action. And perhaps there's some peace to be found in this idea. So I say this not because I hope that you'll see it my way, but because I care, and that's all I can do. Now these are tricky ideas, and I've struggled trying to find the right words for them. I'm not trying to tell everyone to give up, and I worry that that's how it might be taken. So I'd rather end this on words that are not my own and read chapter 13 from Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao Te Ching. Success is as dangerous as failure. Hope is as hollow as fear. What does it mean that success is as dangerous as failure? Whether you go up the ladder or down it, your position is shaky. When you stand with your two feet on the ground, you will always keep your balance. What does it mean that hope is as hollow as fear? Hope and fear are both phantoms that arise from thinking of the self. When we don't see the self as self, what do we have to fear? See the world as yourself. Have faith in the way things are. Love the world as yourself. Then you can care for all things.